When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hello Bulls fans, welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show. Thank you to Bet Online and indeed this week's sponsors. Appreciate them supporting the show. And uh, look, I'm just happy that Bulls basketball is back, Bulls fans. It's been a while. It's been essentially nine to ten months at this point, but uh, we got Bulls basketball back this weekend and um, I... Don't know if I was as excited as I wanted to be after Game 1 of preseason, but um, I'm recording this one now straight after Game 2 of the preseason. And let me tell you, I feel a lot better about it now than I did, say, 48 48 hours ago, something like that, where the Bulls got completely pantsed against the Houston Rockets. The sky was falling. The fan base was going absolutely nuts. People were giving up on, on Wendell Carter. They were giving up on Kobe White. There wasn't much excitement at all beyond maybe some um, some highlight plays here and there. Well, I won't go as far to say some highlight plays, but some nice plays from rookie Patrick Williams. But just generally, I mean, wow, the tenor from the fan base after game one, it was it was not good. It was definitely not good. But um, we've bounced back here in game two against Houston as well. And the Bulls have looked very, very good. Surprising that a team who hasn't played basketball for the best part of a year... Didn't look very good the first time they went around again. So, I mean, I was thinking about recording a podcast straight after game one of the preseason, but really the result got the better of me and I I didn't want to make any reactionary takes. Not that I really had any because it was one freaking preseason game. And as we sort of know following this team from last last year, if we go back to preseason last time around, under Boylan, this team looked actually pretty good last preseason. Zach Levine looked amazing. The offense in preseason was functioning really well. The Bulls won games in preseason. Things were looking good under Jim Boylan during that you know very short, uh, small sample of preseason basketball. And, this, and that was coming after that, that vaunted February 2019 run that the team had under Boylan. So at that point, things were very high within the Bulls fan base and... Then we all know what happened last season. So I, I guess my point is we probably should keep the takes uh, to a minimum. Preseason is pretty meaningless. We're not really going to pick up much at all. And I don't really know how much preseason is is, is uh, particularly relevant for this particular season as well, given 
the fact that we're going through a global pandemic, this team hasn't played in so damn long. They had literally one week of training camp. I mean, these guys haven't been together for so long. Someone like Patrick Williams was literally drafted into the organization like three weeks ago. Now here he is playing his first professional NBA basketball game. So, I mean, I don't know. We, we just need to cool it with the takes. We, know, we, we shouldn't just go completely off the handle straight away. But uh, that was definitely what was occurring after game one of the preseason. And I'm glad to say that sort of calmed down after game two. And I get it why. And I get why that is. Obviously, the Bulls played much better in game two of the preseason here against the Houston Rockets. The offense flowed a lot better. We got more we got better basketball out of Kobe White and I think that was a catalyst to this all. And now if you if you tuned into Bulls HQ maybe a week or so ago when I had C Red Fred on, we were discussing some of the the most important things or takeaways or st- storylines that we needed to just focus on going into this Bulls season and I think one of the things one of the key topics that we kept coming back to was how much of this season really or the success of this season really hinged on someone like Kobe White and, and his development and his play as, as essentially the team's point guard. That's what he's effectively been put into to do. Here through two preseason games, he started at point guard next to Zach Levine. So Billy Donovan's made it pretty clear that he's investing in uh, Kobe White as the lead creator with Zach, Zach Levine sort of flanking off him and being that secondary creator. That's clearly how Billy is running this thing. They're putting that time and investment into Kobe White. And given that I personally don't think he's a point guard, I wasn't surprised that he's really struggled in his first real go at it against that a good opponent in John Wall, who surprisingly, surprisingly looked very good in his NBA return. He hasn't essentially played for two years, but against a good opponent, against a professional team, yes, they were missing James Harden. Yes, they've gone undergone a, a really weird, weird offseason themselves, but they had some capable NBA players on that squad. I wasn't too surprised, I guess, that Kobe White struggled in his first go-round playing point guard, having not played professional basketball for, for so long. But he responded really nicely. Even for me, someone who's a bit of a skeptic of Kobe White, not necessarily as the player, but as a point guard, as a lead guard, someone who can run the offense for you. I Even for myself, I wasn't too surprised how he sort of performed in game one, like I said, but I was really... Uh, I, I won't go to say I won't go as far to say I was really impressed with Kobe in Game Two, but he really did bounce back. I like that mentality from from Kobe White that he didn't let let that rough first game kind of affect him. And he, look, he wasn't bad in that first game. He he had fifteen points, six six assists, but he looked he looked good and comfortable when he was doing his thing as a scorer. Something that we saw obviously from him a lot last season. But when it came time to actually running the offense, creating baskets for others, he didn't look that great in his first game. Whereas, roll forward 48 hours, whilst I thought the, the passes he was making, the reads he were making, and, and the assists he was creating was was kind of basic, like just finding the roll man off pick and roll, still, like it's, it's a step in the right direction for someone who is still learning how to be a point guard. So... Kobe was really the catalyst for, for this game to turn around. He didn't really start the game that well, to be fair. John Wall was sort of doing his thing on Kobe White, but Kobe kept coming. He kept playing hard, and he kept going after it, and I, I kind of like that. And like I said, whilst I'm not going off the deep end here, like I've seen some do in terms of proclaiming Kobe the, the point guard of the future and, and those sorts of things, uh, just due to the fact that the reads and assists he were making were very basic sort of entry-level point guard play, Still, like I said, it's 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 a progression. It's a start. It's something to work towards. So I'm happy with how he played in game two. He looked very, very comfortable. 20 points for Kobe White in game two. And importantly, did it efficiently. 7 of 15 shooting, 4 of 7 from the three-point line, 5 assists. Looked composed with his 20 points. So uh, a very good second game for Kobe White. And I think that sort of, it just sort of leads to what we should probably expect from this team going forward in the sense that there's still a young team when you're sort of throwing someone like Kobe White into the into the fire, really. I mean, it, it's almost unfair what they're asking him to do, like making him the lead creator so soon. But when you're going to do that, there's, there's going to be inconsistencies. And because of that, and because of the fact that this team just hasn't played for so long, we shouldn't be surprised where one game, the offense just looks completely terrible to the next game where it functions a lot better. Um, and obviously, when you add in the fact that we have a new coaching staff, who are implementing their own systems and schemes and ideals on both sides of the ball, whilst at the same time trying to break the habits that were formed under Jim Boylan last season. Essentially, the point is it's going to take some time. So be prepared for some inconsistent play from Kobe, from Wendell, 
from Patrick Williams, from Lowry, from Zach, whoever it may be, that it's just going to happen. But still, a good bounce back performance from Kobe White, Zach Levine in game two, pretty much just built on what he did in game one, which was just come out there and just be that super efficient, just scoring dynamo that we saw last season. He sort of, in in the first preseason game, he got his 12 points or whatever, whatever it was. He just floated in and out of the game. He, and to Zach's credit, he kind of played off ball in game one, let Kobe do his thing, was more than willing to sort of let Kobe run the show in, in the first game. That was true in the second game as well. But what Zach did here in game two was the fact that he started to take over a little bit more in, in his offense. And I mean, when I say take over, I, I mean that in the best way possible because he was moving off the ball. I think one of the very first baskets in the game was Zach sort of cutting off ball along the ba- uh, along the baseline and Wendell Carter find him, finding him on the cut with a nice bounce pass. So Zach was moving off the ball. Zach was exposing switches and exposing you know those occasions when he had a big man switched onto him and was getting to the basket. A very, very efficient game from Zach Levine. 23 points, 8 of 14 shooting, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, in 27 minutes. I mean, Zach is what he is. He's, he's a very, very good offensive player. I thought his passing game was very good in game two as well. He's starting to find guys looking more for his shooters. And he was actually making some passes that were a little bit more difficult, some that he probably hasn't been making in the past. So like where I said before, Kobe White was making the very basic pass, the dump off pass to the to the role man. They were plays that Zach Levine was, was making last season. But in preseason game number two, what he was sort of doing, he was obviously doing that in pick and roll as well, but he was actually finding the flaring shooter who was cutting along the three-point line as well, passing off the bounce with both hands. So it kind of feels like Zach Levine is sort of maybe improving as a playmaker as well. Again, maybe I'm reading into it too much. Maybe I'm being too reactionary and, and going going against my own advice here when I, where I was literally just talking about maybe calming down and just seeing how things play out. But Zach as a playmaker, I thought, looked very good in this second game against the Rockets. Um, if he can continue to make strides there and support Kobe White from a playmaking point of view, whilst the Bulls also explore opportunities for someone like Wendell Carter to create out of the high post, then that... That, that eases the burden on someone like Kobe White, and that'll make his his life as that functioning point guard a lot easier going forward. So this second game, I'm, I'm hopeful, is more representative of what we'll see over the from the Bulls over, over the course of the season. We'll see, obviously, how it plays out. But uh, this was a, a much more encouraging performance. And really, the only player that didn't really show up in game two was, was Larry Markman, who, for whatever reason, just couldn't buy a shot. One of 10 shooting. Don't know what happened with Larry in game two. He, he was decent in game one, had his 13 points, good shooting in game one. But it's probably the consistency that we want to see from Larry Markin at this point. We know when he's playing well, what he can do. We know what when, when he's struggling, how he looks like, how he sort of fades in and out of games. And I guess through two preseason games, we've, we've, we've been exposed to both variations of Larry Markin. And so for him going into year four, it's all about consistency at this point, and particularly with his extension uh, this extension conversation that, that surrounds him and, and his future in Chicago. If you're going to pay a, a guy like Larry Markkinen $15, $20 million, whatever the number might be, you want to see some consistent play out of him. But uh, at least through two preseason games, at least, on the offensive end, at least, he hasn't been there. But, you know, again, not going too far off the deep end on Larry just yet. I'm sure there's plenty of time to, to get in some takes on that beyond this preseason set of games. And the same is kind of true for Wendell Carter, who in game one, after after the game, the fan base was alight on Twitter. They were not happy. Well, not everyone, but there were some that were not happy with the fact that Wendell Carter took seven shots, and of those seven shots, five of them were three point. Uh, five of them were three pointers, which he missed all of them. The, there were certainly factions of this fan base that were not pleased at that. Uh, and again, in game two, Wendell continued to fire three of three of eleven shooting. So clearly, through two preseason games, Wendell Carter has not uh, not been efficient at all. But to me, at least. I've really enjoyed the fact that Wendell Carter just looks like a different player from a confidence standpoint. If we think about Wendell like last season under under Jim Boylan and, and the fact that he only took 29 threes all of last season and compare that now to preseason where he's launched nine threes in eight quarters of basketball and has looked very confident in doing so, that to me is progress. That to me is confidence building. That to me is coaching. That is an immediate thing that clearly Billy Donovan has encouraged in Wendell Carter. If you want to talk about changes, you know, from one coach to the next, whether they're schematic macro level changes or something more micro in the nature of specific players, 
Drilling it down to Wendell Carter, I mean, his involvement in the offense has just been stark compared to last season. He's getting amongst it. He's making plays. He's passing the ball. He's being used more than just a, a screen setter, someone that sort of just dumps off the ball in DHO sorts of situations. He's getting up his shots. He's making reads and passes from the high post. We're starting to see a little bit of that rookie Wendell Carter that flashed some some good two-way potential. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with what I've seen from Wendell Carter as well through two games, even if from a, a box score point of view, the, uh, the efficiency doesn't look very good. So I don't know. Even though I thought game one was a disaster, I thought game two was definitely a lot better. And when you start to add in the fact that Patrick Williams has looked just fantastic through two preseason games, I don't know. Even with a bad game one, I'm still feeling quite content with this Bulls team just now. I, I still have my larger philosophical concerns about this team. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still have questions about Larry Markin and Wendell Carter as a combination moving forward. That that same question or concern exists for me still for Zach Levine and Kobe White. I'm hoping, obviously, all of those things sort of prove themselves right in the sense that I'm wrong about those situations or the doubts that I have about those fundamental questions are sort of exist with the Bulls at this point. I hope they get proven very soon and proven in a way that um, is favorable for us Bulls fans. But at the same time, I mean, those fundamental questions still exist. But coming back to it and just sort of, uh, look, maybe I'm just trying to protect myself given that we're going into a new season. I don't want to be let down so soon. We haven't had Bulls basketball for so long. So maybe subconsciously, I'm trying to protect myself from that point of view. But I don't know. I just, I'm just the way I'm looking at it at this point, those fundamental larger questions still exist for me, but there's just no point harping on them right now during preseason, like I said, under a new coaching staff, under you know some really difficult times right now. I mean, the fact that there's a global, a global pandemic going on and these guys just haven't played as a professional unit for so long, I'm willing to give them some time, I guess. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being silly. Like I said, maybe I'm just protecting my own, my own self here, my own sanity. Maybe in a few weeks time, I'll have a different opinion. But at least at this point of view, I just don't, I just don't think leaping off the deep end makes sense right now. I, I don't want to be wasting that energy just yet. I'm just, I'm just glad that Bulls basketball is back and there has been some positives. I want to continue talking about those positives as well as answering some questions that I've received here from some listeners. But before I do that, let me tell you all about this week's sponsors. First, let me tell you about Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31. Terms and conditions apply. I also want to tell everyone about Bet Online. Football is back in full swing, people. You may not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take full advantage of all their great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, back to the podcast now. And 
Continuing on with some of the positives that I've seen through these preseason games, and one of the ones that I've really been interested in, and maybe this is just me being, again, looking for positives, but in game one at least, I really liked the second unit that what, that Billy Donovan was throwing out there. He, he was throwing out a second unit that consisted of uh, Tomas Sadoransky running the point, Otto Porter actually going into the second unit, you know, phasing Otto Porter's minutes out from the starting unit, putting him in with the reserves, playing him with Patrick Williams, Chandler Hutchinson, and a center, whether it was Daniel Gafford or Wendell Carter or even in game two, Larry Markin got some minutes at center with that reserve unit. I really liked that from Billy Donovan because it was just a big, versatile two-way lineup, and it was a lineup that featured three small forwards, something that we just haven't seen in Chicago for, I have no idea how long. It's just been... I mean, when was the last time the Bulls actually had a functioning small forward, let alone running three at the same time? I mean, that, that in itself was... Super, super surprising. And the fact that you had three wings who were six foot seven or taller, coupled with Tomas Sadoransky, who himself is six foot seven. And in game one, I thought he was the best player for the Bulls. He was really, really orchestrating that second unit offense perfectly. I really liked that that lineup. Unfortunately, we didn't really get to see it in the same vein in game two because Sadoransky, Dotson, and Luke Cornett, I believe, were absent from this game. They were excused absence. Um, it's kind of cagey. It's, it's, it sounds like one of those things where it may be COVID-related, maybe it's not. Who who really knows? It's one of those things that's probably going to be weird all through this NBA season where players will be missing, they'll be absent. We won't really know why. Teams won't really be allowed to comment on it in time whilst we want to know that. So we'll obviously have to speculate about it. But um, generally, when someone's out, if it's an injury like it is that young at the moment, that they're pretty uh, upfront about that. Whereas if it's very cagey, players are excused with absence, don't really know why they're gone. They're under league protocol, so to speak, as, as Billy Donovan sort of mentioned with a couple of these players. I guess you lean towards thinking it's COVID related, which is hopefully it's not, but I suppose that's the, that's the world we live in at this point. But So we didn't get to see that lineup in game two, but we got, we got a variation of it with my man Ryan Hachdiakono running the point in the second unit to um, to see Red Fred's uh, behest at that point. But um, that was something that I was really interested in, the fact that the Bulls have all of a sudden an ability to be a big a bigger a bigger team on the wing. Now, obviously, that that is sort of contingent on guys like Otto Porter and and uh, Chandler Hutchinson staying healthy, which maybe that's a big uh, a big ask. We we haven't necessarily seen that over the last two seasons, but assuming they can, man, does this Bulls team look so much differently with just a, a functioning NBA small forward? It's it's a small adjustment, I suppose. Well, it's it's not even really an adjustment at all, but um, just having someone like Otto Porter around and then having the ability to bring him in with Patrick Williams and Chandler Hutchinson off the bench. I mean, that's that's really interesting. That's appealing to me going forward. And uh, I, I'll be very interested to see how that sort of plays out during the season, particularly when, when Thad Young comes back. And why that's important is because Patrick Williams has just stepped into that power forward position off the bench straight away and has looked super, super comfortable. And I'm, I just wasn't, I wasn't expecting it. I expected Patrick Williams to be good. Maybe not this good, this soon, which is maybe why I'm a little surprised, but he just looked really, really comfortable through two preseason games. Game one on offense, he was really comfortable stepping into that mid-range shot, putting up those mid-range jumpers, putting the ball on the floor and taking, you know, two, three, four dribbles and then getting to his spot and rising up for that mid-range shot. He looked really comfortable in game one. And then in game two, Whilst his offense probably didn't click as much as in game one, what he did do is he showed his three-point range, knocking down two of three threes in that fourth quarter. Yes, it was during uh, or against some third-string Houston players, but at the same time, the, the confidence is what I was looking at more so than the end result, the fact that he was just stepping into those three-point shots with no issue at all. So Patrick Williams flashing that offensive game, showing that he has a lot of poise and confidence for a 19-year-old playing his second preseason game like I said I mean the guy hasn't played for for nine ten months himself but he was literally drafted into the team three four weeks ago has had so little time to prepare for this NBA season and has just walked into the team and and is looking you know like a mainstay at this point so Patrick Williams been super impressed with him on offense but even on defense the things he's doing off ball as a help defender rotating when he needs to doing things that you don't typically see from a rookie defensively that's been super encouraging as well. So I'm very, very in from what I've seen from Patrick Williams at this point, which again has been a big positive. 
But again, <laughs> I'm not going to jump too far into the deep end just in case Otto Porter gets injured or, or Chandler Hutchinson or when the real stuff starts, maybe Patrick Williams looks a little bit more uh, or doesn't have the same confidence that he has here in preseason. Again, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to allow myself to get too too wrapped up in it at all. But just quietly, all of a sudden, the Bulls have a rotation that, that features a number of small forwards, and me, the Irrational Bulls fan, is very excited about that. But um, I don't know. L- let me know. Do you, do you feel similarly? What are your thoughts about Patrick Williams from game or his first two games in preseason? What, what have you liked? What, you ha- what haven't you liked from Williams? Extend that beyond to, to, to the rest of the team. Hit me up on Twitter at M- MK Hoops. I know there's varying degrees right now about Wendell Carter, Kobe White, Larry Markman, but I'm also interested to hear what you think about Patrick Williams because the rookie to me... He's been the real story of these preseason games, to me at least, so far. Kobe has had his, he's done his thing, uh, like I said, in Game 2, less so in Game 1. We know what Zach Levine is. Zach is just a really damn good scorer at this point. But to me at least, Patrick Williams is the one that's sort of really boosting my mood at this point. So uh, I'm liking what I've seen from Patrick Williams right now. So, uh, But anyways, moving along, I asked for some questions from Bulls fans on Twitter, if you wanted to, if you had some questions through the first couple games of preseasons, if you wanted to throw them my way, get my thoughts, I asked that question on Twitter, and um, I asked for some questions on Twitter, and as Bulls fans typically do, as we are the, the opinionated bunch, they threw their, t- their questions at me, so let me hit them back with some answers. And the funny thing is when you do ask for these questions, typically you'll always get a few joke questions in there, or at least the way I've perceived them in, <laughs> I've perceived, perceived them as jokes, and maybe the actual... Uh, the actual questionnaire hasn't necessarily posed them as as as, uh, as jokes, let's say. But uh, Luke here on Twitter asks, who is winning the chip this season, and why is it the Chicago Bulls? Um, yeah, look, like I said, Luke, let's just not let's not, let's not dive off the deep end just yet, my guy. I mean, I'm I'm prepared to go on that bandwagon if they get through their their first twenty games looking strong. That those first twenty games look pretty rough in terms of a schedule. But if the Bulls can get that. Get through that that slate of games looking better than what I think, then uh, maybe I'll jump jump off the deep end with you. But uh, probably not with the Bulls. I'm assuming. I'm assuming they're not going to win the the, uh, the the championship this season. And similarly, from Aaron, he asks, "How long until Pat and Kobe are the new Jordan and Pippen?" And uh, <laughs> I'm not sure, Aaron. I'm tipping it's going to take longer than two preseason games, maybe three, maybe four preseason games, but um, maybe I'll wait until the regular season until I'm, I'm ready to declare that. But um, yeah, um, we, we shall see. I mean, if they, if they can be the new Jordan and Pippen, I'll be a happy, happy lad. On a similar wavelength, Drew asks me, can Felicio please cut that horrible beard? I haven't squinted in agony that hard since seeing Boylan sacrifice Gafford for his reputation as clock management genius. Yeah, I mean, my guy Felicio, I mean, he got some minutes tonight due to the fact that Noel Vonley didn't play. He was a name that I missed before in terms of that whole, well, I'm speculating the whole COVID protocol, but um, Noel Vonley wasn't with the team tonight. He was excused. Kulu Cornet didn't play. I don't believe if he did, I definitely didn't notice him, which is, I guess, very possible. So yeah, Felicio got some burn today, did it in game one. I don't know what it, I don't know what's happening with that beard, but um Hopefully it's gone. Same with him very soon. Hopefully they can find a trade for his expiring $7.5 million. But um, yeah, look, I'm just happy for Felicio. He got money out of the Reinsdorfs. Anyone who squeezes money out of the Reinsdorf, I'm happy for. Like, good good work. You, you have my support. And rounding out these joke questions that I did receive, this one comes in from Mark. He says, and this isn't me, by the way, but he says, should Denzel Valentine be the next Benny the Bull? Um, I, I, to be fair, I don't know if Denzel can move as well as Benny the Bull. So uh, probably not, to be fair. Um, I don't think Denzel can pull that off. But um, like I said, whenever I ask these questions, I always get a few a few uh, interesting ones, let's say. But um, now onto the more serious stuff. And not surprisingly, a lot of them surround, you know, guys like Kobe and Patrick Williams, the, the two younger guys who have maybe the most upside. Um, and the first question here comes from from Devin. He asks, what do you envision as Kobe and Pat Will ceiling given their status as the youngest members of the squad? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one, Devin. I'm the, I, I, I've got a feeling that Patrick Williams may end up being the Bulls' draft, best draft pick since Jimmy Butler. Maybe I'm reaching... Maybe I'm going too hard too soon. Maybe I'm going to regret that take. But the reason why I'm going for that particular take is the fact that I've just I've been super impressed by the little things that maybe you don't necessarily see in the box score 
things that aren't typical of a 19-year-old kid coming into the NBA. The work he's doing off-ball, both on offense and defense, the way he's positioning his, his body, helping, rotating, doing the stuff that you usually see from three, four, five-year vets, those sorts of things. Hell, some of those guys don't even get it. I mean, how many times have we talked about Zach Levine and Larry Market not necessarily understanding how to, how to play help defense or team defense? Some players just never get that stuff, whereas Patrick Williams here has sort of just walked into the league and is seemingly already ahead of the curve on in those specific things. So really, really intrigued by Patrick Williams as a two-way player. He's shown some things on offense, definitely shown some things on defense. I still see him more as a power forward than a small forward, but maybe he's got some chops from an athletic standpoint, maybe from a skills point of view. His pull-up jumpers have looked really, really nice as well. So maybe there is more scope for him being a a wing more so than a power forward, let's say. So in that sense, I I still feel feel pretty strongly about Patrick Williams now in the sense that I think he's going to be a really good player. I don't know what his ceiling will be. I, I've, I know every time I post something positive about um, about Patrick Williams online, I get I inevitably get responses from people telling me that this kid is the next Kawhi and those sorts of things. And again, I'm I'm not prepared to go that far. But my I guess let's call it realistic or hopeful projection of him was to him to be a, a two way player, just who impacted wing, plays power forward, averages fourteen points, seven rebounds, a couple of assists, really good defense. That was the things I was hoping he could be, but maybe there's more scope than that. Maybe I was underselling him, and uh, maybe uh, again, maybe I'm getting trapped in the moment here. But um, maybe there's ten, twenty, thirty, thirty percent more in Patrick Williams than what I initially thought. And I'm, I'm saying that because of what I'm seeing right now is kind of what I expected to see him in year two or three. But um, I'm seeing it in games one and two of the preseason. Again, the preseason isn't really normal, real basketball, so maybe I'm going too far too soon. But similarly, I didn't expect to see this much from Patrick Williams so soon. So I don't know. I feel good about Patrick Williams. Kobe White, from a ceiling standpoint, I still feel very similarly I think Kobe is going to be a very good player. I, f- I feel like he can add to a team. I'm still not convinced he's a starting point guard. I'm still not convinced he should be your lead option on offense. So we'll see how that sort of shakes out. But at the same time, whilst... Uh, look, I don't think I'm a Kobe doubter, but I know certain people perceive me to be a Kobe doubter. At the same time, even though I don't think he's a point guard, I think he's more of a scoring guard whether that's as a starter or off the bench. I still think there's a value in that role. I still think he's going to be good. I still probably have his ceiling as a guy that averages, you know, 16, 17 points, maybe three, four assists, three, four rebounds. And, you know, he's just that really super productive uh, scorer that can score in bunches. That, That to me is still his ceiling. But again, if Kobe can do some stuff here early in the season where he shows more passing chops and when, and when I say more passing chops, I mean plays that are not just as necessarily dumping the ball off to the roll, man. I mean, that's basic entry-level point guard stuff. I want to see something a little bit more complex. And if I do, then maybe I'm prepared to sort of re- revise my take on Kobe. But again, I feel very... I think Kobe's going to be good. I feel very strongly about Patrick Williams. So in, in that sense, uh, I think the, play, the Bulls have two decent players in those guys, more so Patrick Williams... But uh, let's see what they've got. This is the time now to find out. Devin also asked a follow-up question. He asks, if you had to predict which members of this Bulls squad in its present-day iteration do you foresee remaining on the team past this season? Oh, man, that is such a tough question. And, and the reason why that's so hard is the fact that this season can go a multitude of ways. I mean, like I said just before, the first 20 games of this season are so damn hard. The Bulls are on the road for a good chunk of them. They're playing a lot of Western Conference teams in those first 20 games. And those Western Conference teams, they are playing a really damn good Western Conference teams. So there's a reality there where the Bulls, through their first 15 games, only win sort of four to six games. At that point, if you're AK, you see your team struggle. Maybe maybe Kobe and Zach aren't coexisting. Maybe Lowry and Wendell aren't coexisting. Maybe at that point, you start thinking about making some moves, making some trades. And if so... What does this team look like? I have no idea. But um, if I had to predict, I'm going to predict at this point that it's more likely things go poorly than well. And in that situation, then I would expect some trades to occur. And if that happens, I think guys like Kobe and Patrick Williams are probably the most likely to remain. I think someone like Zach, 
has clearly established himself as a scoring beast in the NBA. He probably has more value to a contender at that point, so I would imagine he would be traded. Maybe Lowry remains, depending on what they do with an extension. We've definitely got some questions here coming up about uh, Lowry's extension that I want to get to, but maybe Lowry hangs around for that reason if the Bulls do extend him. But um, I would say at this point, it would probably just be Kobe and Patrick Williams because they're the two freshest guys, the two youngest guys. Maybe they're the ones that have the the most appeal to to AK. Who knows? But um, that would be my guess at this point. But like I said, this this season for the Bulls could go so many different ways. If if Kobe breaks right, can really can become a viable starting point guard. Then maybe those first twenty games look very different and. Maybe things remain intact to a degree, and and and, and a different reality presents itself. But um, we'll we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, thanks for your question, Devin. Moving on to Larry now, because I've got a couple questions on Larry marketing, and this one comes in from uh, Alejandro. He asks, "What are you seeing from Larry's role that is different this year from last, and is it working?" So I'll probably say it's too early to really judge that just yet. I know a lot of people have made. Uh, have made this distinction that Larry didn't necessarily get to move off the ball last year. His his mid-range game was taken away. He was sort of just set up to be just a catch-and-shoot guy. And uh, look, I push back on some of that. But even if I was to agree that was the case this season, I don't think his role thus far has dramatically changed through two preseason games, particularly, like I said, in his first game, he looked decent. He shot the three ball well, whereas in game two, just couldn't get it going on offense at all. There was probably more movement in his off-ball stuff in terms of he was catching the ball maybe more on the move in that second preseason game than what we maybe got used to under Boylan. But again, I think it's way too soon to say has Lowry's role dramatically changed? Is it working? Um, I think we need more more, uh, more evidence of that, I suppose. And I, I, I need that is one that I definitely need to see more of which is kind of ironic given that someone like Lowry, it's it's coming down to a decision time with Larry Markin. And the Bulls have until December 21 to make a decision as to whether they want, they want to reach an extension with him now or whether they let him enter restricted free agency next season. So in, in that regard, that decision, there's only like a week left on that decision. I'm hoping we see more from Lowry in, in games three and four of the preseason. But even then, really, you, you probably want to see more of Larry given how inconsistent he has been so far through three seasons. He was very bad last season. For stretches through year two, looked very good. Obviously, he was quite good in his rookie season. Exceeded most of our expectations in his rookie year. I just want to know who the real Larry Markin is. I think we're just seeing too many variations of who he is at this point to really understand. But at this point, I probably can't say... I've seen too much different from last season to this season because it's just too soon. But uh, it's definitely a wait and see. But uh, again, thanks for your question, Alejandro. Staying on Lowry here, I've got two questions, one from Oscar Herrera um, and one from Burke. So the the first question here, I'll combine them because they're similarly related. But um, Oscar asks, based on what you've seen so far, what would be the most you'd offer Lowry in, in contract extension talks? Do you prefer to let him go and hope Williams becomes an efficient forward replacement down the line? And to that point, or similarly questioned, Burke asks, how much patience should the Bulls have for Larry before going to Pat Will as their starting four? So let's start first on the contract piece, which like I said, is going to be the next or the biggest storyline, I guess, for the Bulls off the floor this season. And I guess it really starts now up until December 1 as to whether they reach an extension or not. Both parties have said that they want to extend. Lowry made it pretty clear in Media Week that he's been on the phone with his agents saying, I want you to make a deal with the Bulls. I want to be here. I want to extend. Arturis Karnaschovas was pretty clear in his own words that he wants to keep Lowry around. So it seems both parties want to remain connected. It obviously come down to cost, what the price is, what is Lowry asking for, what is Karnaschovas prepared to pay. That's, that's the stuff we don't really know at this point. But I'm assuming both parties are trying to make it work from a dollar's point of view now as to what we should be paying Larry Markkinen. That's that's a tough question. I mean, like I said before, we've, we've just seen so many different iterations of, of Larry Markkinen. He's been pretty inconsistent through three years of basketball. So am I paying the Larry Markkinen that looked like a star through through February 2019? Or am I pay, paying Larry Markkinen from last season who floated in and out who wasn't as good of an offensive player or shooter as we had hoped based on what his uh, projections out of college assumed them to be. What player are we paying? I, I, I don't really know. So just given the fact that that question 
or at least for me, I can't answer that question right now. I, I would be quite concerned paying anything more than $15 million per season. And even at that point, like that's that's a tough sell based on production at this point, based on where I see his projection as a player going forward. And like I've said on this podcast before, like I've said on Twitter before, I just don't know if his archetype of player is someone that makes sense in the for the power forward position anymore. I mean, playing two bigs in traditional lineups, I don't know if that's the way the NBA is going. Well, I, I, I know it's not the way the NBA is going. We just have to go back to last playoffs to see how teams were closing games. A lot of, a lot of teams were closing games with small forwards and power forwards sort of manning their traditional four and five spots. So in that sense, like where does Larry Markkinen fit in the league's landscape? And if he can't play center and he's strictly wedded to that power forward position, does he really give you value if he's not going to be an elite shooter or an elite scorer? And at this point, we haven't seen that, or at least not consistently. So even $15 million per season might be a bit of a stretch. $15 million, it's average starter money, but still, is he a long-term starter in the NBA? Again, I don't know. Something to consider as well is the fact that Larry Markkinen's cap hold into next season is $20.1 million. So if the Bulls sign into an extension number that's below that amount, they actually gain cap space next season. If they go over the amount, they lose cap space. So that's another thing that, you know, Karnaschovas needs to think about. So maybe if you can bring back Larry for $15 million, you you gain $5 million in cap space. Conversely, if you sign him to a deal of $25 million, then you lose $5 million in cap space. So that that dance will be interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously, uh, trying to work out how far apart he and his management are with AK, I think that's going to be an interesting thing as well. We'll hopefully learn more about that over the coming days. But because Patrick Williams is here, and I view him as a power forward, and to me, I think Patrick Williams is actually more of the prototype, prototypical power forward than Larry Markin at this point based on the way the NBA is going. The Bulls have all the leverage here at this point in the sense that they have a, well, I won't say ready-made replacement, but they have a potential replacement for Larry Markin. It just becomes a question of, do you want to sign him now to a team-friendly number? If you can, bring him back and then hope he can sort of restore his value, his his abilities. We get more consistency out of him. And then, then you maybe you, you look to keep him long-term or you maybe flip him in a trade, use his new larger deal to maybe bring through a bigger contract guy. Maybe that's an option. Or maybe AK just doesn't believe in sunk costs. Yes, you would be losing a player that came as part of the Jimmy Butler trade if you were just to let him walk, not sign him to an extension. It wouldn't be a good look necessarily, but maybe that is the right decision. In that situation as well, the Bulls would gain $20 million of cap space. Maybe they can apply that in a better way than giving Larry Markman a $20 million extension per season in terms of dollars. So... I don't know. It's it's a difficult one. I don't think there is a, a really good answer at this point, in part because we just haven't seen a consistent Larry Market, and I, I wish we had. It would make answering this question so much easier, both for for myself, but obviously our tourist kind of show us more importantly. But um, yeah, look, we'll we'll see how it all plays out. But at the moment, at least, I, I'm expecting them to try to work out at, at, toward a new deal. And if that's the case, and they do come to some sort of agreement, hopefully. Hopefully, it's not too expensive. Hopefully, it's similar to the Zach Levine deal in the sense that we're, you know, at the time, we're thinking, oh, yeah, okay, that that deal could potentially be good. It potentially could be bad. And clearly, at this point, it's 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 turned into a, a good deal because Zach Levine has improved as a player. Maybe something could, similar could happen with Larry Markkinen, but I would be uh, very fearful of overpaying for him right now. So that's how I kind of feel about Larry at this point. Thanks for your question, Oscar and Burke, but we'll obviously see how that, that plays out with Larry. Coming to another question here, this time on Will Larry Markin's starting front call partner, Wendell Carter Jr. So this one comes in from Furious George, and he asks, how long do you give Wendell Carter Jr. to, to get his three-point shot right? And look, uh, I give him a long time. <laughs> now, at least in preseason, I know it's only four games, but now is the time where I want to see players doing things that we haven't seen from them before. Now, this is the the perfect testing time. And for Wendell specifically, like I said before, he took 29 threes all of last season. He's gotten up nine threes in two preseason games already. And importantly, he hasn't hesitated on these shots, particularly in game two. He, when he made that corner three in game two, he did not think about passing. He did not think about, should I shoot this? Should I not? 
None of it. He just went up, shot the ball cleanly, went up with confidence and drilled the shot. So yes, he's one of nine from his three-point shooting thus far, but that's the shot he needs to develop. That's the shot we need him to develop. So keep taking them. Now, having said that, if we're if we're into February and Wendell is still launching four or five threes a game and really not connecting on any, then yes, at that point, obviously, you have to start reining him back in. But for now, for right now, during preseason, during the early stages of the season, I just want to see Wendell Carter Jr. looking confident with his jumper, looking confident with his offense, and just feeling more involved. I've seen that through two preseason games. I understand that the results haven't been great. The efficiency certainly hasn't been great. But from a pure process point of view, it's been good. It's what I wanted to see. And I'm always going to favor the process over the results, particularly in the short term. So I'm happy with how it's playing out. I like what I'm hearing from Billy Donovan. And like I said before, when when fans were losing their minds after game one when Wendell Carter put up five threes, Billy Donovan, the coach of the Chicago Bulls, came out and said, I actually thought Wendell could have got up 10 threes. I want to. I think he could shoot more. When the coach is saying that and trying to empower Wendell Carter, I'm going to lean with Billy Donovan rather than some of those fans that were losing their collective minds after game one. So uh, that's how I feel about Wendell. Now, again, I'm biased with Wendell. You all know that. If you listen before, I love Wendell. I think he can be really good. He needs to break some habits. He himself, like Larry, has been inconsistent. He needs to prove it this season. But I want to see guys showing that they can do things, showing that they're breaking through the mold, the stains of the Jim Boylan era. And I think what I've seen from Wendell, even if the results haven't been great through two preseason games, to me at least, it's still encouraging. But obviously, George, we'll we'll, we'll track it through the season. We'll see how he progresses and, and hopefully does. So thanks for your question, George. Staying on Wendell for the moment, we've got a question here from Preacher Abe. So Abe asks, please address whether Wendell is capable of playing center. Uh, Abe, I think he most certainly is a, capable of playing center. I know people reference his height all the time. The fact that he's, you know, somewhere between six nine or six ten, I see people say that all the time, and I just keep coming back to, well, the dude has a seven foot four wingspan. Defensively, what we've seen from him through his first two seasons is that he can be a high level defensive player. He's super, super smart on the defensive end of the basketball court. Like I mentioned before about Patrick Williams, where you see a young kid doing things that you would expect from veterans. Wendell Carter showed that in his first two seasons on the defensive end. He most certainly can play center. He's good and agile enough to play in multiple defensive coverages. We saw him last year you know, in that blitzing scheme that Jim Boylan was running, which I hated. Despite me hating that system, Wendell made it work, along with Chris Dunn. Those two made it work. But now in a more conservative style, a drop coverage, which Billy Donovan is is sort of implementing now, something that will keep Wendell closer to the rim, that will help him too. So yes, I definitely think Wendell can play center. I definitely don't think he's a power forward. I know Wendell himself has said he wants to play more power forward, but I think he said those things in frustration after last season where he was always blitzing pick and roll, always being asked to sort of guard out to so far out past the three-point line whilst also having to run back and protect the rim, getting no help from anyone else. So at that point, I think that's where the power forward comments came from, just his pure frustration of playing center under Jim Boylan. Now hopefully under Billy Donovan in a more conservative scheme on defense, one that asks him to to move and run less, which hopefully conserves more energy for him to play more on offense and do more things on offense. I think he'll be a more content player. I think he can function as a center. I'm pretty damn confident on that. So yes, Wendell is definitely a center in this NBA. But anyways, I've rambled long enough here, particularly after two preseason games. Do we even need a podcast after two preseason games? I don't know if we necessarily do. But look, they're, they're my thoughts on your specific questions. Thank you all for sending them through. And I guess from the top, that were my specific thoughts on what I've seen through two preseason games. Like I said, maybe I'm just being irrational here. Maybe I'm just trying to protect my psyche at this point. But I don't know. It's too early for me to just jump off the deep end, whether it's about the roster itself, whether it's about what's what I'm seeing on the court, I'm prepared just to give things time. If st- things still look like this in two, three months time, then maybe my uh, maybe my stance will change. But at this point, um, I'm just prepared to let it play out, see what it looks like under Billy Donovan, see what it looks like under Arturis Konashovas. Let's see. 
what Patrick Williams is about, what Kobe White is about, what Wendell Carter and Larry Marketing can do. Can they break those habits? Can they regain some form and maybe play like I hope they can? I want to see it. I want to, I want to give them time to prove it to me. I don't expect those habits to be broken or things to change in one or two preseason games. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm waxing poetic here too much. Maybe I'm completely wrong. And in a you know two to three months time, I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll be joining the chorus of those fans out there that haven't been too pleased with what they've seen. But at the, at this point, Bulls fans, I've been fine, content with two two preseason games. But like I said. I want to hear from you guys. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts at MK Hoops. If you want to send me an email, if you prefer using that, asking questions that way or having a, a dialogue through email, BullsHQPod on Gmail. Hit me up there. If you want to extend that conversation in a real-time chat forum, hit me up on the email as well to get a link to the Bulls HQ Discord forum. We've got over 100 Bulls fans up in there talking Bulls all the time. So uh, if you want to be part of the conversation there, let me know, send me an email, you can get a link to that. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me on this one. We've still got two more games coming up into preseason. I'm not sure if I'll have time to uh, actually get another podcast out before this side of the new year, to be honest with you, because I, um, I'm probably going away on the weekend and I'll be away for a couple of weeks. And obviously we're heading into Christmas here so and then, and then New Year break. So... I don't actually know if I'm going to have a chance to get out and do another podcast before the year ends. So if that, if I don't, for whatever reason, if I don't get that chance, I just want to say, uh, obviously, everyone, particularly in the US, but everyone across the world, obviously, have a safe uh, and emphasis on safe, particularly with COVID still being a thing. Have a safe Christmas, holidays, whatever it is you celebrate, then with you and yours, hopefully, you and your family are safe and, and are well and are happy at this time of year. I'm hoping for every single person out there that 2021 is much better than what this year has been. And bringing that back to to our Chicago Bulls, the reason why we're all tuning into this podcast now or talking about the Bulls, I I hope 2021 brings a lot more nicer things for us Bulls fans. So um, fingers crossed. Let's, Let's see what happens. But like I said, if I don't speak to you before the new year, have a great, safe break. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I will speak to you all in 2021. But um, throughout 2020, I really appreciate everyone's support, everyone who has tuned in, anyone who's shared the podcast, anyone who's been part of the Bulls HQ Discord forum, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah, I just really appreciate you guys. You make doing this worth it. So um, thank you all for your support. I'll speak to everyone in 2021, but in the interim, I will be online. Uh, I can't escape the Bulls, even over Christmas, even when I'm on holidays, I can't escape the Bulls. So I'll still be watching. I'll still be tweeting like an idiot. Uh, so you can follow me there in the interim but uh, that just about does it for this episode of the show thank you all for tuning in we'll speak soon Bulls fans Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.